For those of you who don't know, I've been away for a couple of weeks, and it is really good to be back with all of you. Uh, please join me in expressing our gratitude to Glaffy Carr for preaching the last two weeks. Thank you, Glaffy. I hear you did a good job. And is this your pencil by any chance? <laughs> I don't know. I get things in my pulpit. Surprise. Don and I had a wonderful vacation. Um, in addition to spending time in Virginia with our son and his family, we had the privilege of singing in a mass choir at Carnegie Hall in New York City and spending a couple of rainy days there afterwards. Um, we also spent an afternoon in Washington, D.C., exploring the museums there, including the National Archives. I have never been, how many of you have been to the National Archives? Okay, a few of you. It is worth a trip. And we only went there for one purpose, and that was to see the founding documents of our country. For the first time in my life, I saw the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. And it was a really moving experience. The documents are written in beautiful, amazing penmanship on parchments that are huge and of course you can't they're in glass cases and you have to be very careful guards standing on either side of them um, but they and they have faded and because of the number of people who are trying to see you don't really have time to really stand there and try to read them but I didn't need to remember read them to remember the stirring words of Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You all remember those from school, if not from other things. Liberty, freedom. As we near the 243rd anniversary of the founding of our nation, it seems very appropriate to read the equally stirring words of the Apostle Paul on that same subject. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The Declaration of Independence declares the intention of those who wrote it to seek freedom from the yoke of pure political tyranny. Paul's declaration, however, speaks of a different kind of freedom. The letter in which these words are found was addressed to churches in the province of Galatia, which is in Asia Minor, Turkey nowadays, churches whose members were Gentiles who had converted from pagan beliefs to Christianity. Paul had taught the Galatians that by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they were set free from the power of sin and justified, made righteous in the eyes of God. That justification was grace, a free gift rather than something to be earned. And faith in that grace was all that anyone needed to receive it and to be included in the community of faith. As was his custom, Paul moved on after being with this church for a while, and then other Christian missionaries came to these same churches, missionaries who told the Galatians something different, that their salvation and membership in the church was only available to them if they first became Jewish. They urged the Galatians to submit to Jewish law to live by Jewish practices and to be circumcised as a sign of their adoption into the Jewish covenantal community. Their words threw the Galatians into 
confusion and dissension. And when Paul learned about this, he was furious. In his mind, requiring such conditions was tantamount to enslavement. You have to remember that Paul was himself a Jew, a Pharisee who had spent most of his life striving to uphold the law. He knew from experience, however, that no matter how closely he followed all the rules and regulations, it could not make him righteous. Righteousness could only come from God. And because God had already brought that about through Jesus Christ, there was no longer any need to live under the law. In Paul's mind, telling people to do this, to put themselves under the law, was first to deny the grace of God and the faithfulness of Christ, and second, to yoke them to rules and regulations that could not save. In Christ Jesus, he told the Galatians, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The question is, what kind of freedom had they been given? Though Paul told the Galatians they were set free for a new life in Christ, what did that life look like? Like us, they wanted to know exactly what they should do and how they should act. If the old rules had been thrown out, what were the new rules? Or were there any rules at all? Paul's answer is surprising. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence but through loves become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wait. Didn't Paul just tell the Galatians that they didn't need to be slaves, that they were not to become slaves again? And didn't he just tell them that they didn't need to follow the law? What's going on here? Paul has already told the Galatians that Christ freed them from the power of sin. Now he turns his attention to what Christ had freed them for. There's a corollary. You're freed from something. You're freed for something. He begins, however, by telling them the opposite. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. The Greek term here is sarx, which is also translated as flesh. Now, sarx may refer to physical bodies, but Paul does not use it in this way, nor is he talking about sexual desire. Instead, in the words of Robert Bryant, this term is Paul's shorthands for self-centered living as opposed to God-centered living. Given that, self-indulgence, I think, is a pretty good translation. This is not, Paul says, what... Christ freed us for. Instead, Christ has freed us for love. When we give in to our desires, when we focus on only satisfying our needs, it's all too easy to neglect the needs of others and to ignore the ways of God. But when we choose to live in love, when we engage in service that meets others' needs, we keep the flesh, those things that want to push us a different way from gaining ground. 
What's more, when we freely give of ourselves, we, we align our minds and hearts with the mind and heart of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And with the law, as it turns out. The law is summed up in this, Paul's right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of the two great commandments named by Jesus. But if Jesus did more than simply cite this law, he embodied it in his life and in his death. If you insist on following the law, Paul tells the Galatians, then do as Christ did. Through love, become slaves to one another. Now, I suspect that the idea of becoming a slave, even if it does refer to loving others, doesn't sit well with most of us. That's not who we are. It's not how we think of ourselves. And yet, in so many ways, we are enslaved. Enslaved to our desires and our fears. We all want to get ahead, to have possessions and prestige, to feel safe and secure, to be in control. And we are afraid of losing those things, of losing others' respect, of rejection, of failing to live up to expectations. And those fears and desires run our lives and motivate our actions. When we receive God's gift of grace, however, when we put our trust in the unconditional love of Christ, we are both freed from that slavery and freed to offer ourselves as Christ did. Martin Luther once said, a Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian is the most willing servant of all and subject to everyone. This truly is a different kind of freedom. Now, this is all good in theory, of course, but how do we actually live out this kind of freedom? Paul's answer is this. Live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. A better translation is walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. To be free, Paul says, is not to go our own way, but to be led by the Spirit, to submit to the Spirit's guidance and to allow its power to help us resist the desires of the flesh. Again, we tend to think of those desires as having to do with physical things, but, and Paul actually does include Things like fornication, impurity, licentiousness in his list of the works of the flesh. But most of the works that he names have to do with the attitudes and actions that distort relationships and destroy community. Things like enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy. Those who do those things, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, a better translation. Those who practice such things, those who walk in these ways, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's not talking about one outburst of anger or a single incident of sexual misconduct here. Rather, he is warning the Galatians about the danger of a habitual way of life that harms oneself and others. He goes on, by contrast, 
The fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice that Paul does not talk about works of the Spirit. He doesn't talk about acting in those ways. Instead, these qualities are the fruit of the Spirit, the harvest of life in Christ. I reminded of Jesus' words, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. When we are in a loving relationship with Christ, when we walk with the spirits, our lives will produce the fruit of which Paul speaks. Lives of compassion, harmony, gladness, understanding, thoughtfulness, steadfastness, humility, and restraint. We can do this, Paul writes, because our relationship with Jesus frees us to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. It's a rather curious phrase, and Richard Hayes suggests that it may refer to the act of baptism in which we symbolically die to our old selves, to the flesh, if you will, and rise again to new life in the spirit. In that surrender, we find freedom. Still, it's difficult for us to remain free on our own, That's why Paul tells the Galatians, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Words that may also be translated as, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. When we live by the Spirit, we move to its beat, we feel its rhythm, we follow its lead, not just in church, but in our homes and workplaces, in stores and restaurants, in every moment of our lives. As I told the children, what we do affects others. And by the power of the Spirit, we can make a surprising difference in the lives of those around us. This is as true in our communal life as in our personal lives. If we choose to walk with the Spirit in our economic and political lives, if we truly encourage selfless giving instead of self-indulgence, if we let our compassion guide our interactions with the poor and needy, if we speak out against greed that promotes the desires of the flesh, and if we use our freedom for good, not gain, then surely, my friends, we will experience something of the kingdom of God on this earth. For freedom, Christ has set us free. As we celebrate on July 4th, let us give thanks not only for the liberty that we enjoy in this country, but also for the freedom that we have received in Jesus Christ. Freedom for love, freedom that bears good fruit, freedom in which we live by the power of the Spirit. May it be so. Amen and amen.